Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to our special guest, Jennifer Vancini of Mighty Capital, quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling does payroll, benefits, and integrates into your IT system to make it so that you can spin up new employees really quickly. It's an awesome service. We love it at Cruise. Put a lot of clients on it. Check out Rippling. Um, And now, Jennifer Vanzini from Mighty Capital. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. So we've been friends for a couple of years. A couple of years now, I guess. You work in venture capital. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can kind of give your quick background and, and tell us a little bit about Mighty Capital. I don't know if my background's quick. Um, <laughs> 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 so I'm a, a founding partner, general partner at Mighty Capital. Um, I got into investing uh, several years ago. Um, it's been kind of a culmination of my experience in working with startups and business development and corporate development. At one point in my career, I decided to leave the operational world, operational role, and focus on investing because I have a finance background and I know that you have to diversify and that there (laughs) needs to be some discipline around it if you actually don't want to lose all your money. So after doing that on my own for a bit, managing family office fund, I was co-investing with some people through a a networked group, um, and a few of us decided to split off and form a fund in 2017 to be able to take advantage of better opportunities. That's awesome. I didn't know you worked for a family office before. That's that's kind of like... I did my own, actually. Oh, you did? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I, at the time, had thought about, like, bringing in other money. Yeah. Realized that would be way more headache on my own than it was worth. I I don't think single GP funds are always the best way to go. Right. You need, like why? Because you need a little check on the decision making, or you need a check on the decision making. Yeah. It's lonely to work by yourself too. Quite honestly, these are very complicated situations, oftentimes. And yes, you do need diversity of thought and perspective and experience. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And so, the people that you started Mighty Capital with were they? You were co-investing as like angel investors together, or how did you? Yeah, meet those folks? correct. Yeah, for a, a couple of years. So my co-founding partners. Um, our SC Moati, Sophie Charlotte Moati, who's the managing partner, Dr. Alan Kramer, and they, they both bring fantastic backgrounds. SC is a dyed-in-the-wool product manager with several experiences building great products in EA, um, company that was bought by Facebook. Uh, she's been on the board of Opera. Uh, she loves investing, working with startups, and loves great product stories. Uh, Dr. Alan Kramer was a physician who left that world and was a founder of BridgeBank. Oh, no way. Are you yeah, me? yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he was on the board of Silicon Valley Bank for a while, obviously, and he loves investing, and he's got a lot of strength on the life sciences proposals in particular. Well, and BridgeBank was a startup in itself. Right. And they did really well, too. So they, they got bought out and everything. So yeah, they've done really well. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we all have our own uh, experiences in investing and business operations. Um, so it was a really good mix. That's and really great. we built a, a great uh, group of limited partners, many of whom get very involved, actually, mm. in the deals up front in exchange for co-investment rights. Mm. And they bring their specific expertise in sectors and in operational roles. So you almost have, like, your LPs are also diligence providers. They can be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we call them limited LPs. So it's ah. ones who choose <laughs> to go through. Uh, we have an LP in residence program. Mm. So we want them to observe how it works, get trained up. A lot of them simply want to learn 
more about investing as mm -hmm. they think about that as part of their alternative investment strategy or even what they might, might want to do in five or ten yeah. years. Some of them just love being in the game and have a lot to bring to the table. That's cool. Yeah. And what's like Mighty Capital's core value add or the stick? Like what? How do, how do you position yourself in the market? Right. And there are so many places to get money now, right? So many venture capitalists, private equity funds, family offices, they all have to be differentiated and have a value add, right? So our thesis is that we invest in companies typically at an early growth stage um, that have great product cultures. Mm -hmm. um, so we look for businesses that can create value at scale somewhere in the product stack where there's a strength that is solving a hard problem with a team that has the ability to actually grow this company uh, where there's a big enough market for it to make sense. You know, we look at all the, the things funds typically look at. We put a, a big emphasis, though, on why is this company going to succeed and grow value at scale, and are we aligned on the end game, you know, the exit. You use the word culture, which I'm like, this is my first time ever running a company at Cruise Consulting. I used to be on the investing side. I don't think I ever really appreciated how important culture is, like when you're actually running something. It's becoming bigger than ever. Yeah. We have an annual offsite. Yeah. We had one in September. We actually spent time talking about culture. Yeah. So our LPs come to the offsite, right? We did some breakout sessions on what should our culture be. And yeah. have you ever heard of that in venture capital where <laughs> you're pulling I, in you your LPs? Have. It, yeah. And talking about But that's culture. what's so cool about it. That's why I latched onto it because yeah. it's like. Yeah. And in investing as in any industry, each company has its own culture, and um, we want to work and be in places where we're aligned and agree on who we are and what's important to us and how we operate, right? Yeah, and, but I also feel like it's so important, and it also kind of helps maybe the matchmaking aspect exactly. with founders because you're both exactly. – like if you're articulating what your culture is and what you care about and what you're looking for in investments – they can kind of self-select in or self-select out. And sometimes those self-select outs are actually like the best thing that could ever happen to you as a VC, right? Yeah, and it's it's not unlike a startup. Yeah. It's very much like that Yeah, um, in terms of how you're running an organization. And to be successful, the people and how you communicate and work together through the really tough times is yeah. super important. Well, and that's part of like I think about our best companies like Calm, Superhuman, and these companies, they have ext extremely strong cultures, but they're like positive – Right, but, but it helps you yeah. kind of guide the company and manage the company. It's like almost like a an invisible hand pushing the company in certain directions. Yeah, it informs how people decide to behave. Yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. I, I was thinking about this recently because I, I gave a talk to a bunch of young women coming here from Miami University out of Ohio, starting yeah. their careers, looking at entrepreneurialism. They're like getting worried now. They're about to jump off from their safe environments <laughs> into the corporate world. They hear these horrible stories, right, as women especially. And we're talking about what they wanted to know, what do I do if I get into a bad culture? Yeah. And my advice was in a good economy, you don't have to put up with it. You in just... a bad economy, you kind of fasten your seatbelt and figure out how to get the most out of the situation. Yeah do professional development. But I was thinking about culture and how each company has a different culture. And one key thing I, I found different in different companies is whether or not swearing is part of the cultural yeah. norm yeah, or not, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. When I worked at Price Waterhouse in Toronto, it was not part of the cultural norm. So people didn't swear. I worked for another company where the expletives flew all the time. Yeah. And I started doing it. <laughs> I started doing it more at home. It's so like a virus. It just yeah. yeah. So culture is a conscious but also very unconscious force in how we decide to behave and be in an organization. Yeah. And there is no right or wrong necessarily. It's like 
what works for you and, and your team and what are your expected outcomes based on it. So. Yeah. I mean, maybe the Oracle sales culture is like yeah. tough, but incredibly right? successful. Should be aggressive. Right? And yeah. The people yeah. who sign up for that are right. But like, I just look at our, our clients and it's like the ones that really take time to define this and kind of police it tend to be the best performing companies. Right. So I, I would think when, when you're sitting across the table with a term sheet with the founder and you connect on this, it's actually like a really great way for you to win a deal or get into a deal. Be- it is. Because they, I, they, you're on the same wavelength. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And when people push back on some of how we do things, that's just an indicator that's, that – yeah. Maybe we don't fit well together. That's what I was saying to self-select out. It's like, <laughs> ah, you know what? Because that you happens to us all the time. That's okay. It's like a library, lots of books. Yeah. There are bestsellers, but there's the long tail. You'll find someone who wants your book. I, Maybe I, we, it's not us. <laughs> we have the same exact approach. Because like what we find, and it took us a couple years to figure this out. Or Actually, I think Vanessa figured it out very early and took me a little while longer. Because I'd grown up in like M&A culture and at a bank. And you know, even though it was nice... Hamburg and Quest was like a very nice place to work, but like mm. it wasn't like Bear Stearns or something like that, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. I think my level of willingness to put up with stuff was a little higher. But what what I realized was that people who didn't connect with us on a cultural level were burning out our employees. Oh, totally. Because they were treating yeah. our employees. I, I could take it, but maybe some people didn't want to take it or they shouldn't be expected to take it. There's a lot of stress if you have part of the culture is aggressive. Yeah. And part of it is more yeah. egalitarian. And so, yeah. And, and so we know, made like a fuzzy. We made a really conscious effort to like define our core values and communicate that a lot and we live by it now. So like if someone is not a client is not acting the right way, that's in align with us. They, they it's right. like you said they're probably there's another place that would do their accounting and taxes. Exactly. And then maybe a better fit for them. And so we part ways because the attrition cost alone is like in, in insane, you know, and it gets people down and you just don't want to deal with that stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. And we'll see if this is a nice benefit of strong economies and what'll happen. I sometimes bring that up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to put up with a lot more when times are tough. I know. It's uh, that is like the bummer. Our employee base is kind of the full spectrum now, but we, especially in the early days, we had a lot of young employees who had never really kind of gone through a recession or something like that. Oh, exactly. And so that'll be kind of that'll be one of the big talking points issues. Yeah, and I whenever it happens, the mindfulness around culture will because it is a a big movement right now. Mm -hmm. I think it will carry over into tougher times, but. Maybe with a bit more boundaries. We'll yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. that's really cool. That's, I'm glad you did that. So is there – when you say like early growth stage, is that like Series A, Series Good question. B? Like, yeah. How do you think about series that? Series A, Series B. So they've launched a product. Mm-hmm. They've got early traction. There's product market fit. Now they need capital to grow, yep. really go to market aggressively, get to their next next set of metrics to raise the next round yep. and start deploying it out. And so as, as a smaller fund, we're able to write a smaller check in those slightly later stages – because we are a value add uh, platform for venture capital, being able to leverage our network to the benefit of the CEO and the company. So a key part of our network is one that uh, SC had started called Products Account. Mm-hmm. It's a really great forum association for product managers. She created it years ago as a product manager. No way. Yeah. It's like the stack overflow of product managers or something like that or yeah, a community. It's, you know, where do you go to get it's something people learn on the job, yeah. and it's a really hard yeah. job, and it moves the needle significantly at a company of yeah. any size. Yeah. Uh, so she created it for learning best practices, mentorship. Aww. It's grown into a huge network of 
hundreds of thousands of product managers. That's incredible. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, about 10,000 executives in that Holy set. cow. Some are more active than others. Is it an online community or is it's it It's an a, online community, but they also too? do events. Okay. So there are chapter heads in different areas <sighs> that will organize events, uh, companies that will host, you know, use their site to host it. Like DigitalOcean's been hosting it in New York for a while, oh my gosh. for example. Yeah. Um, and it's very strong, of course, in the Bay Area, the West Coast. New York's gotten strong. So we're able to leverage that to source portfolio <laughs> companies. Amazing. I didn't yeah. know that. That's Yeah, and incredible. we won't let any other venture capitalists have the same role in it as we do, right? So we can source deals as significantly. We can help our portfolio companies tap into that network yeah. as their product managers need help and support. Learning best practices, get mentorship, hire people, sell to these companies. That's like a gift from God. That's incredible. Have those resources. Eventually get acquired by these companies. So Amplitude is one of our portfolio companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were involved in products account for a while. They let us invest in a later round. Didn't, you know, had to make room for our check because they were in high demand and – and the CEO, Spencer, has said that we were the best value per dollar invested oh as my an God. investor because it's helped drive their sales. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, And I always tell people, I tell our team a lot, too. It's like having a permission asset, especially starting it early in your career, pays dividends like 10 years later. Like almost like right. the, the podcast for me or Vanessa does a lot of writing or like – this this network. I don't know if you, you probably don't know this about me, but I started a nonprofit social network for oh, patients okay. with rare diseases Great. twelve years ago. Oh, and really? it doesn't really huh. impact my per- professional life, but I learned a lot of lessons doing that. Hmm. But like just the power of like these online networks and people connecting and remembering where they met or how they help and helping well, each other. There's one thing we know about Silicon Valley. It's all about the power of the network. Yeah, yeah. Right? Why do companies come here from all over the world? It just accelerates your growth. Yeah. And that's a key part of how you get funding, how you drive sales, how you meet your acquirers yeah. and build your ecosystem. That's, so that's that's our core differentiator yeah. is we will bring the power of our network and our operational expertise to help you out as you build your teams and work you know, through successive rounds of funding. Um, there's one portfolio company called Blue Dot. They moved here from Australia as they were starting to grow. They, they have highly precise uh, location technology integrated in apps for retail, um, for, for transportation, for fast food, you know, McDonald's, yeah, Transurban, yeah, yeah. Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. Super precise. Great story. Um, they're a portfolio company. We've helped them get their lead for Series nice. B funding. We've helped them source lawyers and you know a lot of value add uh, and often consult with them on on their build out. Now they, they do need, as they grow, they're going to need more product strength. And yeah. so products account is a great fit for them. Yeah. So. Do you find that, I mean, that is kind of the definition of a competitive advantage in venture capital. Like do the, I mean, you were, you had a family office, so you feel like the yeah. family office audience really, that really resonates the people who are looking at investing in mighty capital. It does. Yeah, yeah it does. They need to understand how we're differentiated. Yeah. The fact we're able to get access, a fund our size would normally be seed. Right. Yeah. But to get access to these later stage deals and, and we've actually got four IPO candidates out of ten investments right now. Oh my god, that's wasn't amazing. even our goal. Having said that, we did go into DigitalOcean and Airbnb at later stages knowing they were a IPO candidates. Yeah. So that's really rare. Yeah. Uh, and we're excited about it. We actually talk about how to get to <laughs> <laughs> to you know, some more M and A sort of uh, opportunities. But so that is very appealing to high net worth individuals, family offices. We do have one corporate LP right now. We're starting to get as we look at our fund 
path forward, a lot of interest from institutionals now. Yeah, that's incredible. Them. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what they look for, though. They want that what's your competitive advantage or how are you in? Yeah, because it is a noisy space. Yeah, well, right? also, like, if you're getting in to, like, those kind of companies, that's the ultimate validation, you know? Love to hear what you think about this. I see a lot of, I like, I love Twitter. I read Twitter. I see a lot of venture capitalists talking about, like, ownership percentage. Yeah, it's one one approach and one strategy, okay, especially, yeah, yeah. The, especially the large VCs that will take it from, you know, A to, they want to keep maintaining an ownership percentage. That's one strategy. Personally, I think it depends on the portfolio company and the opportunity and what's the right approach for smaller investors. It's, is the pie getting bigger? And are you not getting crammed down as later stage investors come in? So we always follow on if it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. For example, to stay relevant to the the company, the company and the opportunity. But I think I'm I'm kind of I think I what I hear you saying is what I believe, which is, of course, it's better to own more of a company that's successful than not. Sure, right, yeah. obviously. And the yeah. big funds do have huge amounts of capital they have to deploy, but that allows them to kind of justify higher valuations effectively because they're like, oh, I got to do the twenty percent or whatever. It's but, an issue, and yeah, that's not the game <laughs> we play because those are the whales. Yeah, and yeah, they're mega funds, and they have to return. Three billion on one billion, yeah. or whatever, but, they're t- or more than that, and so they have to write checks to companies <coughs> and ju- justify huge valuations. These are companies that compete on cash, yeah, and growing very quickly and blitz scaling. Yeah, uh, not every company fits that model. Though. Well, that and that's kind of my point is like, call me old fashioned. I just want to invest in good companies, and if I can get one percent or three percent or whatever into a good company, and yeah. and as long as the entrepreneurs' expectations of like the involvement will be, you know, you're not on the board and things like that. You're still helping the company, but you're right. not going to be like the number one board person. Right. I don't understand why people get so hung up on it. I'd rather be in just a lot of great companies. People definitely have different motives here. Yeah. So I, I agree. And we do take board observer seats where mm-hmm. it makes sense. So we, we have a room, you know, place in the boardroom. We don't like surprises. We want to yeah. know what's going on <laughs> with the cash and so on and so forth. But I agree. I think getting three to five X cash on cash in a much shorter time frame than the unicorn chasing is really attractive. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with a solid second base hit. I think the best deals are exit in 18 to 36 months. I think even the stats show for the founders, it's the best deal. Yeah. Well, it's also yeah. like you, I think you've been in the game for a while. You know what you're doing. And I've done it for a while. And it's like a lot of the three, like people will, I'm the 3X on this or my IRR is this, but like it's so influenced by the economic environment and right. what the markets are doing that I, I when That's I hear right. people talking about this, about what they're going to do in 10 years, I just like roll my eyes because I've been at funds where we were a top like 20, you know, what 75%, 80% percentile com- fund. And we returned to two x. Like right. we we did really well relative to everybody else. Relative to what was going on in the market. Yeah, then, but yeah. like, but it wasn't the you know. But so I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of echo chamber, or we're spoiled by the economic environment right now. Right. And I guess I do think private investing has to follow some of what we know about public investing. Do it for the long term. Mm-hmm. Dollar cost average. Diversify, and don't just think about the the one hit wonder. Right, that would be like day trading in yeah. the stock market. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like right? that. Right, yeah. and I do think for people building building family assets, building worth, long term capital appreciation. I don't know how you can't be in the private markets now because the next public, the next Fortune one thousand are probably going to be privately funded, and for a lot a of them time. aren't even going to go public. From yeah. the looks of it, they're yeah. going to end up in private equity. Like- or, you know, or other situations for a while. So for long-term growth, and I think it's really important, fewer companies are going public. There's less access 
unfortunately, to growth for 401ks and IRAs. I know. It's a bummer. Yeah. Well, I, and I think I saw that. I think it was Bumble may have did like a really complex but like looked like a very lucrative private equity deal. Like they didn't even mm. go public. They just sold it to like or 60% to a private equity firm, and, yeah. which is kind of shocking to me because I still – PE is, is – what's going on there is fascinating yeah, to I, me, right? Yeah. It's not all – I think their main objective still is free cash flow, yeah. EBITDA. Yeah. It's a great strategy, a great way to spend some of your money. But we're we're seeing them start to try to get in, into deals where there's no profit yet, where there's no cash flow and earlier stage deals. So I don't know either because I in, – in the look on your face, you're thinking probably like how I am. Like I think of them as like LBO firms. Right, I and, know. And lever the company up, and that's how you pay yourself back. But yeah, it's and good. Well, God bless for them for being opportunistic and entrepreneurial and seeing a hole in exactly. the market and doing it. So my husband's a serial entrepreneur. He's CEO of his second startup, founded startup, and he's going to raise a Series A soon. But after his seat, I couldn't believe how many outreach he was getting from PE at their little puny size. <laughs> Already for acquisition, for investment. I'm like, I don't get this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it. it's crazy. He's like, should I even talk to these people? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't hurt to. Yeah. But it, I just see that as an interesting indicator. Yeah, well, that's really cool. Well, yeah. what are some – so you talked about Blue Dot. Are there other companies that you're super pumped about in the Mighty Capital portfolio? I'm pumped about all of them, of course. Yes, of course. Um, we've got a great set of portfolio companies, amazing founding teams. Um, we are picky. We have a very robust due diligence process. You know, the top of the funnel is maybe two, 3,000 companies a year. Some four to 500 come in for initial screenings. Wow. Uh, maybe a quarter of them come in for larger meetings, deeper dives. Maybe 15 every half go through due diligence, and we only do, you know, two to five of them. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, a, that's amazing. Um, so we're really pumped. I already mentioned Blue Dot and Amplitude and... Of course, Airbnb, we're really excited to see what, what happens with them. Part of our investments, we, we talked about where we invest. So we, we do have a lot of enterprise, B2B, SaaS kind of companies, mm -hmm. obviously. But about 20% of our focus has been on genomics and personalized oh, medicine. I love that stuff, too. Yeah. yeah, especially where it starts to intersect with big data. It's hard to be an investor and not be in life sciences, given the growth trajectories, but yeah. it, it's it's a difficult space to navigate. Yeah. Um, and some of the investments can be very capital intensive. We don't focus on the super capital intensive. So we're into their mission bio. Um, oh, they used to be a client. Yeah. Oh, were they really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when they were like a seed stage company through Series A, I think. Yeah. Great. great. I, is it Charlie? I, Charlie Silver. Charlie's a great guy. He's, he's a, super awesome. And he's a profile of the kind of founder we love, right? Yeah. Really smart, super professional, yeah. building this team around him. Uh, he reaches out to us when he needs help with an intro to somewhere or wants an opinion on something. He's raised successive rounds of funding with Mayfield, Agilent. Yeah. Uh, they continue to grow. So they're doing single cell sequencing, which is all part of eventually curing cancer. I, <laughs> I, I know. And that's a very high level overview. Yeah. But, so he, so yeah. I did my MBA internship at Becton Dickinson analyzing molecular genomics and diagnostics. Oh, really? So I actually know what that is. Yeah. The, the, the never trust an MBA – to, yeah. and for an opinion was I analyzed Illumina for the summer. Okay. And I and told you... Becton Dickinson <laughs> not to buy them. Oh, for man. those who don't know, uh, Illumina was like a $700 million market cap at the time. And now I think it's $21 billion. It's So that was probably huge. the dumbest thing I've ever said in my career. And the, I'm sorry, people, Becton Dickinson, thing, for never, right? don't ever listen to an MBA. 
Right. But, well, uh, that's a good segue. Another company we're pumped on is Fabric Genomics, mm, which I've heard of them. Yeah. John Stupnagel, who's chairman of founder of Illumina, is chairman oh, of. Oh no way! Okay, yeah. Yeah, chairman of Fabric Genomics. CEO's Martin Reese. Um, so they do very rapid whole genome sequencing, applying AI to look for variants if you've done rare disease yeah, yeah, work. Uh, yeah. You might find that really interesting. I do, yeah. um, so they're, uh, you know, again, it's fa- fantastic technologies. They can very rapidly in pediatric wards, for example, help families and doctors figure out what's wrong with it. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> what, what it used to take six weeks. They, they actually have Rady Children's Hospital that got a Guinness World Record for how quickly they could decipher what was happening with the whole genome sequencing, like 19 hours for something that would have taken wow. weeks where wow. families are waiting for a diagnosis. That's amazing. And for folks that don't know, genomics has the combination of like software characters yeah. and like chip, like some Moore's Law. I remember that right. was like one of the slides I put right. up for the CEO of Becton Dickinson was like, here's what Moore's Law looked like at in- Intel's cost structure over the years. Here's what it's doing. At, at, at the time, at the metrics cheaper, right? and Illumina yeah. and these companies, and it was actually surpassing Moore's Law's curve. Yeah, it meaning every data point you got was infinitely cheaper than the than the previous couple years data point was. But it's a big data story, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah now that big the time. sequencers are coming down in price, yeah, it starts to become more accessible. But once you just you know once you do the sequencing, then what? It can be needle in a haystack. Yeah. to know what you're looking for, and that's where companies like Fabric they sit on top of that and come in. That's really cool. Data, Good yeah. for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and you talked about culture. Charlie at Mission Bio is like as good of a person as you can find, and yeah. I still remember this is the really early days of Cruise Consulting. He was going through his SBIR audit, and for those that don't know, as a life sciences company, you can actually get a lot of free money from NSF. You know, yes. pretty large grants. Yeah. As long as you are doing real research, you go through a process, but you get grant audits. And I remember me and Vanessa at eleven o'clock at night, the night before his audit, going back and forth with him. And he, but he was like that kind of CEO. He's yes. like he's getting it done. He is. And knew how important it was. He just executes, yeah. executes, yeah. executes. He's a really good person. That's yeah. really cool. And he seems to do it with a level head too. Yeah. No, <laughs> he's no crazy calm. there. Yeah, calm so. at eleven o'clock at night before the <laughs> audit is uh, is what you want. Real quick, so we got a, just a couple other little things. We were talking before we turned the mic on, and there's like when you invest in a company, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period because you invest, everyone invests in the company because things look pretty good, and the entrepreneur's been wooed and you've wooed the entrepreneur and pop but, the champagne cork. Yeah, and but, then, yeah. But then there's a moment, then you start. You talked about this a little bit earlier, like the capital goes to growth and hitting the metrics on the next round. And usually it's 18 to 24 months. When do you kind of start taking a hard look at the company and and having that feedback with entrepreneurs like, hey, you're on track or you're actually surpassing track, which is amazing. Or, hey, we need to like make some adjustments here before or we're not gonna be able to raise the next round. Like, how do you talk talk about that? There are a couple ways we manage that. And that's why rapport and relationship are so important because you're there are founders that really just want to check and then want you to go away and not bother them. Yep. And I get that for some people, right? But that's not where we play. Yeah. Of course, having said that, Airbnb doesn't need our help, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the later stage a company is and the more mature the investors are in the room, yeah. the less you know, we, need, yeah. we need to be on top of it. But we, have, uh, we assign a portfolio company rep to every company to make sure there's regular communication. We do quarterly portfolio reviews where we ask for certain information to see how are the revenues tracking, what's your headcount, how's the cash, yep, right? How's yep. the cash flow? 
to try to avoid surprises so we can have those conversations about, okay, what's going on with your burn rate? Mm -hmm. Or where do you need help? Or is there somebody you need to hire? What's going on here? Yep. So really keeping it in a very ongoing dialogue. Those are the variables too. Like they what's are. your cash? That's do you the need biggest more thing. Help? Who do you Rule hire? number one, don't run out of cash. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're looking at your next round, do you understand how much time you need to do that? Yep. A lot of CEOs are overly optimistic about how quickly they'll do their next raise, right? And what the numbers need to look like, especially as you get, exactly. like what I always tell companies is as you get deeper, Series B, Series C, it becomes much more of a quantitative totally. viewpoint because totally. you, the numbers say whether it's working or not at seed or There's Series There's enough a. data there yeah. and enough market experience yeah. to know and competitors start you're competing more in the accounts yep. earlier it's so much about the idea the market size and the team yep so it's that yeah. it's that collaborative conversation over time and right and being helpful and asking them like actual questions that can help them instead of uh you, you always hear the board members who are like getting mad in the board meeting it's more yeah. about like hey let's be productive here and actually have a good rapport yeah because we're partners as investors yeah we're not lenders yeah we're not, um, <laughs> And even there, it should be a good part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good partnership. Of yep. course, when you do convertible notes as a an instrument, technically it's a debt instrument, but we want to own shares in the company yep. and see it grow. That's that's really cool. Well, you have an awesome. It's amazing track record. Mighty Capital is doing really well. Maybe you can kind of tell everyone where they can find you. And, and thanks so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Sure. So our URL is mighty.capital. We go to several events. Um, SCMO Audi has a robust speaking schedule. If you're a product manager and you're not already part of product's account, strongly encourage you to sign up to that network to start getting into that conversation. And if you want to grow your career as a product manager, there are opportunities to help shape the conversation there. So it's the main way That's perfect. to find Gen us. And I'm on LinkedIn, Jennifer Vancini. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming by. I really okay. appreciate it. Shout out to Rippling for sponsoring Founders of Friends podcast. Check out Rippling for your payroll benefits and IT integration, you did awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, take care. Bye. So when your troubles are mounting, in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Owens.